I think for me, a large part of it in terms of for myself and reflection on my own preferences and working style, I think it really was an eye-opening that I enjoyed the individual contributor role. As you know, I'm very social and I really thrive off other people's energy. And I was very apprehensive going into the summer because I did know that I was largely going to be working alone. And while I was excited about the opportunity to drive the work forward, I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to do it or I wouldn't be as effective because I'm so used to collaborating and building together and getting impactful results through that process. Whereas now I was just hoping that would still happen if I was alone. But I think I surprised myself and I also had a better appreciation for being an individual contributor doesn't mean you're truly alone. And I think I had that misconception. Welcome to the SIDCast, the podcast where we sit down with a fascinating guest each week to hear their story, who they are, and how they got to be that way. My name is Sid Finkelstein, a professor at Dartmouth College, and your host and guide as we embark on a journey of learning, discovery, and good old-fashioned conversation. Welcome to the SIDcast. This is Sid Finkelstein, and I am here today with the second episode of my series, As It Happens, which will take us to the finish line of season three over the next month and a half. This is episode number 118 in all, and my guest today is Leah Parker Belfer. Well, let me tell you what this is about. This time for As It Happens, I have one of my students, Leah Parker Belfer, as my guest. I thought it would be interesting to follow Leah as she wraps up her first year of business school heads off to her summer internship, and then returns to reflect on the experience, what she learned, and how she dealt with the differences between expectations and reality, which all of us do at every job we ever take, right? It's a journey that probably millions of students have embarked on each year. You go to school, you study, you think about what you want to do with your life, and then you start working, and you come up against reality, good and not so good. Leah's story is a bit different in that she's back in school again, since the work that she was doing was a summer internship job and not a full-time job. Not only that, but she's also at a different school because she's not only studying for an MBA degree, but she's enrolled at Harvard's Kennedy School, the Public Policy and Administration Citadel, as a dual degree student. The Kennedy School, if you're not familiar with it, counts among its graduates, prime ministers, premiers, presidents, executives, and actually past SIDCAST guests, Charles Blanchard and Henry Cisneros. Leah grew up in Brookline, Mass. She received a Bachelor of Arts at Hamilton College. Prior to graduate school, she worked at Deloitte in their government and public service practice in Washington, D.C. During this time, she helped U.S. federal agencies and nonprofit organizations do work for their constituents and their customers and help them deal with all kinds of complex challenges. Leah is currently exploring ways to leverage technology for social good. I have to say that that is a common or at least not that unusual of a uh, aspiration for many of my uh, students these days. Their technological savvy is through the roof great and keeps getting better, but they truly do care about social issues, about the environment, about climate change, and not only do they care, but they want to do something about this. Upon completing her dual degree in 2023, Leah hopes to work at the intersection of public and private sectors, advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion. Leah's passion for diversity, equity, inclusion stems from her lived experience as a Chinese woman adopted by Caucasian parents and raised in the Jewish faith. Leah's committed to creating community and fostering cultures of belonging wherever she goes. During her first year at Tuft, Leah actually founded a podcast herself. It was called If You Knew Me, and it was designed to illuminate surprising connections and deepen understandings and even sparked some rich conversations within the tough community. One of the reasons I asked Leah to join me for this episode is because she accepted a job for the summer of 2021 to work for Uber, not exactly a company known for their attention to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And as you may recall, in the not too distant past, a poster child company for the bro culture of Silicon Valley under then CEO Travis Kalanick So how does a young person just starting her career reconcile her desire to have an impact by supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion and social issues, making companies better places to work with the still controversial and unprofitable Silicon Valley giant that's just four years removed 
from the resignation of the founder and CEO, Travis Kalanick. I find this dilemma not only interesting, but a real litmus test for all of us. What are we willing to compromise on? How important are our values? Are we willing to trade off on an insistence on working for what we believe in in return for a high paying job that enables growth in more traditional ways? These are all questions I know Leah had herself as she considered Uber in the first place. And Leah is particularly thoughtful, making her a really compelling guest for this episode. Okay, there are two segments you will hear. The first was recorded when the school year ended and just before Leah started working for Uber. This was in early June, 2021. The second segment was recorded in late September after the Uber internship was over. I'll be back with a few comments in between the two segments. Here is my conversation with Leah Parker Belfer, segment one, this past June. Welcome to the SIDCast. This is Sid Finkelstein, and I am here today with one of my wonderful students, Leah Parker Belfer. Hi, Leah. Hi, Sid. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's fun to have you as a guest for all sorts of reasons, but you're also a podcaster yourself mm-hmm. and you created a podcast, I think, for students. Tell me a little bit about how that's been going. Yeah, happy to. So I did create a podcast called If You Knew Me, which a small plug is available on Spotify, Apple Podcast and Google Podcast. And the reason I started it was really because I felt like there was a need to help students to better connect with one another especially during the pandemic. So my class started right after lockdown, basically in the fall, and really was at a loss in some ways for how to create the meaningful connections that people told us would happen organically through interactions in the buildings and in the classroom. And so we weren't having any of that because we were over Zoom at the beginning. And so I wanted to help people get past the small conversations around the weather and get into some more meaningful dialogue. And to do so, I wanted to help people open up and have the opportunity to share. So the way the podcast works is guests say, complete the sentence, if you knew me, you would know. And they can complete it any way they want. It could be anything ranging from, if you knew me, you would know I love sports, to if you knew me, you would know what it's like to be in a long-distance marriage. And so the topics really ranged, and we're still doing it. It's been something that I hope will continue into the future, but I've really enjoyed it personally, getting to know my fellow peers, rather, and for also hearing about the connections it creates among students who tell me they learn something about their project teammate, or their fall group, study group member. I think it's great, good for you for creating that. And I see also the backstory on it. Your prompt of if you knew me is really interesting because there's lots of ways to answer that. There's different levels of how we know friends, even family members. And then there's the level of ourselves. If I really knew myself, you would be kind of philosophical about it, but there are definitely multiple levels to that that are kind of interesting to think about. You didn't anticipate, nobody did, a world of COVID when you decided to go to business school. Mm. Why did you choose business school? For me, I felt like it was the next step in my professional development. I think taking it a step back in undergrad at Hamilton College, I studied government, which is basically political science in any other institution, but they call it government. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot through that opportunity or through my studies and through my job prior to tech, which was in federal consulting down in D.C., But I did feel like as I kept going up the ladder within the consulting firm that I was missing some tools in my toolbox, specifically business acumen that I just didn't develop in undergrad. And I could see myself developing it slowly at Deloitte, but I wanted to expedite my learning and really focus in instead of doing it incrementally and organically through project by project. So for me, professionally, it felt like the right time. I definitely had a moment of debate whether to delay going to grad school because I applied round two. So when I found out I got in, it was after COVID was apparent. And so I could make a choice about whether I wanted to delay and maybe reapply or reevaluate if school is the right thing for me. And I did that and basically felt like it was still the right time. I'm the kind of person that feels like you make opportunities for yourself. And so I wasn't too worried about feeling like I wasn't going to get the I guess, experience or skills I needed, even at this difficult time. So for me, it still felt like the right choice. 
Yeah, I think the skill development, the toolkit, as you describe, is certainly possible under almost any circumstance. It's all the other stuff that's fun and engaging and important for careers as well. So after one year, what's the biggest surprise? I think the biggest surprise might have been, and I don't know if it's a surprise, because like I said, I kind of had a hunch things Mm -hmm. would be okay. But I think it truly is how my class rallied together. I kind of hoped it would happen, but we just finished the term, as you know, the first year. And looking back and even in the final weeks, just seeing how bonded my class was together was really heartwarming and perhaps surprising given what we faced together. And so I'm really excited for what the second year will bring. And the second year will be, fingers crossed, 100%, 180 degree difference. Yeah. I'll be back in the classroom face-to-face starting in mid-August. And after my case, it would be four terms of school. That's Mm -hmm. a long time. So now at the end of the first year, what is standard for MBA students is to have an internship that often, not always, leads to a full-time job afterwards. And so where are you going? So I am going to Uber with their U.S. and Canada office, and I'll be in their strategy and planning team. Is that going to be remote or face-to-face? It will be remote. It would have been in San Francisco, but I believe Uber is remote until September. Until September. So why did you choose Uber? Because I know we've talked before and you have a lot of interest in corporate social responsibility and sustainability and equity and fairness. And I don't know whether Uber is the first company people will think of to describe by those words. Yeah. So I came into tech hoping to pivot into tech and specifically, like you said, CSR, corporate social responsibility. And what I found quickly is that that career path isn't necessarily a traditional MBA career path, which was fine. I had a lot of help from the career services center to navigate what that might look like. But ultimately, what I ended up deciding is feeling like I needed to take incremental steps to get from where I was in consulting into tech and then from tech, maybe CSR. And so that definitely influenced Mm -hmm. the company as I applied to it, broadened the companies in terms of now it was about tech and maybe what kind of technology I could get excited about. Taking a step back, I think what motivates me the most is people. And so whether that be helping people. And for me, I wanted to work at a company where the product, I could really see a tangible connection to helping people. And so Uber actually did make a little bit of sense for me when I thought about how it grants people access transportation and that might not be otherwise available to people. And specifically during the pandemic, what they were doing around getting vaccines to people or getting people to vaccines, I think I could rally behind. But to your point about their history, that's undeniably questionable and something that worried me a little bit throughout the application process. And to feel comfortable going there, I had many conversations during the interview process both with folks at Uber who might have been on my team or just in the company in general, as well as people from Tuck, the Center for Digital Strategies, the career service advisors, to really get a sense of whether going to Uber would be the right fit for me. But ultimately, I decided to go. I'm interested. I think they're trying to chart a new path since their prior CEO. So I'm excited to see where that could go. Well, that's one of the things we're going to track as we talk in the future and talk again after the summer internship is over to see. I'm going to be really interested, of course, about you and your life and your career. But there's an interesting conceptual notion here, which is the power of a founder of a company and the culture that he or she instills and how it's so long lasting in many situations that could outlive the founder by decades. And it's called an imprint. The sociologists call it imprinting. And it's really a very interesting notion in the same way that certain childhood events or activities that we all engage in that happen to us, we remember them forever. They impact us dramatically. And that notion has been applied to any organization and with Uber having their particular flavor of kind of the worst of Silicon Valley bro culture. It'll be interesting to see your perceptions Mm. of is that gone? How have they done it is actually kind of interesting. Maybe I'll give you a little assignment to do a side hustle analysis to understand if it really isn't that way. How did they do that? Because mm-hmm. it's not easy. I mean, how many people work at Uber? I mean, it's a lot of people, right? Yeah. You know, I don't actually have the number off the top of my head, but especially when you think about all their different offices, you know, I'll just be at US and Canada, but there's LATAM, they're global. But I think to your point too, about getting to know the culture, that's very important to me. And it'll be interesting. I definitely have it on my to-do list to really 
challenge myself to assess the culture and get an understanding for it. And I think Mm -hmm. it might be challenging in this COVID environment with it being virtual. So I think it'll take very intentional actions on my part to make sure I'm not just getting to know my small team, but Mm -hmm. continue to get to know the other functions and Uber at large as well. Where did the interest in CSR come from for you in the first place? My interest in CSR definitely came through another acronym of DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, which can sometimes fall within CSR. Sometimes it's separate, but sometimes it falls within. And again, it comes back to that aspect of people and caring for one another. And for me in particular, I think it has to do with what I like have been calling it top cultures of belonging. And for me, that means something because when I look at my own history and past, I think the reason I've been so successful, if you could call it success, is because of feeling like I belonged and being supported by my family, my friends, my professors, the institutions I've been a part of. It's something that I want to make sure exists for everybody um, in the broadest of sense. So for me, DE&I CSR, it's all about empowering and enabling others and creating inclusive environments where other people can thrive the way that I feel like I've been able to. So I'm definitely a supporter and fan of that notion, but I have heard lots of pushback over the years. Sure. Especially what business about making money. Yeah. And, you know, we know that as being professor and a student at business school, we understand shareholder value, value (laughs) creation, pressure for quarterly earnings and all those other uh, really, really important things. And everything else is just lip service. Mm. I've been asked that and I I tend to fight against that, but I recognize it's time to be true. It's really trying to understand the heart of a culture of an organization. You have to deal with this, I guess, because you have the interests that you do. You're going into the for-profit sector, not just Silicon Valley for, but the for-profit sector. One could imagine trying to have the impact that you're interested in having. You know, it could be nonprofit, could be governmental. You have experience in that area or NGOs and lots of other places. How have you done this kind of personal reconciliation between the image and some reality of business and the world you want to create? It's definitely not clear (laughs) yet to me. And so I think it's a perfect opportunity to be on this podcast with you and talk truly as it happens and navigating transition. I think I'm still trying to understand how best to have the impact I'm hoping to have. And as you know, I'll be pursuing a dual degree, so with the Harvard Kennedy School for their master's in public administration. And so I'm definitely trying to figure out how to play in what I call the intersection of public-private sector. I think I have clear interests in both business and public service. And so trying to marry the two and find that happy place is definitely what I'm after, and I'm definitely still searching. I think for me, consulting actually prior to Tuck did offer me an opportunity because I was in federal consulting. It definitely had flavor. It was business. It was private sector. Mm -hmm. But all our clients were government agencies and Mm -hmm. all of our clients were very mission driven. And that felt like a tie back to my passion for public service. But ultimately, consulting isn't the long, long term for me. And so trying to figure out where else I can find that balance will be interesting. I think for me that CSR felt like an opportunity, which is why I'm pursuing it at the moment. But I do recognize that you can't know what you don't know. I'm all about growing and exploring. And that means not necessarily having all the right answers and trying things that might not work out. I completely get that. And having that attitude, that approach is a giant advantage. I mean, some people will call that a growth mindset, you know, take the Carol Dweck idea. But the longer I've been working with uh, leaders, the more that that differentiates people time and time again. You see it even people early in their careers, even in a classroom, you can see it, which is a very different type of environment. So you're going to start pretty soon and we're going to connect when you come back in the fall. What do you hope you're going to be able to say about this? Oh, gosh. I'm hoping for some more clarity. Like I told you, I'm on this exploration, personal exploration, personal and professional. So I'm hoping to have some more clarity around whether I see myself at Uber, whether I see myself in tech. I think this will be the first time I'll be in industry. Having been in consulting, I was never within embedded within an organization. I was always the advisor. So I'm really excited for this opportunity to truly be at a company, I think, get a sense for if I like the industry, if I like Mm -hmm. the work, I'll be in strategy and planning, which isn't too, too far from consulting, but will still be different. I think at the end of the day, too, it's interesting. I really have the mindset of not trying to connect the dots while living it. 
if that makes sense. It's some of the best advice I think I've been given, recognizing that's probably not the best advice for everybody, depending on where they are and their outlook. But for me personally, as a planner and as someone that likes to have it all figured out, it's a very good reminder to me to be wary of trying to make it all fit as I'm living it and really let the experience lead me. So I think in some ways that leads to me not knowing what I'm hoping. I think the best thing is just to say clarity, but not necessarily defining what that means. And it may or may not lead to saying, I want to work here yeah. full time after I graduate, even if it goes really well. But I like that bit of advice that you were given and that you're trying to integrate yourself. I've certainly seen that with lots and lots of people who are in tremendous hurry, especially, you know, high aspiration type of people that come to top schools. They're in a hurry to do a lot. I could tell you I'm on the other side of that experience. There is no upside to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the downside is significantly greater than the upside, but it's a virtually impossible argument to make because unless you've experienced it yourself and understood it and gained literally a decade or decades of wisdom to discover that old cliche about it's the process, it's a journey. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It actually is true. There's a reason why so they many say people it. say that. It's actually true. It sounds so hokey and you hear it so often and say, if that's fine for you, you've already made it, but I got to make my career. So I get all that. Yeah. And I share the idea of wanting to make an impact. And I think the way I've rethought about it is I'm in a hurry to make an impact as well. But I think redefining what that impact actually looks like. And I think you can have it day to day in the communities you're a part of without maybe having that, I don't know, CEO title, for example. So with the podcast, that's one thing that I found personally very fulfilling. And I've also heard it's meant something to my peers. And so doing little things, incremental things along the way while you're still pursuing maybe that big end all goal of whatever that success looks like is definitely possible. And it helps ease off the pressure of getting to that point when you know you can have impact along the way. You know, that's actually actually a really good pointer for lots of people, which is maybe I call it a side hustle or some such thing, which is a common term usually about business, but any side project that's not your central thing. And most people do that, you know, they volunteer, they get involved perhaps in, in spiritual sense, or they coach a team. Most people do something. Like that. Not everybody does. Mm -hmm. Not everybody, to be fair, has the time and the resources to do anything else other than just surviving. So I don't want to say anything other than that and recognize that. But to the extent that it's possible, it's a great thing. We're going to wrap up in a second, but one of the best, I'm not going to use side hustle because I don't like the connotation to it, but the best side project I ever did is when I taught fifth and sixth graders writing. Mm. I did it after school as a little enrichment thing. And there were eight or 10 kids that came over and I taught them how to write. And more than that, I taught them how to not fear writing. And it was so much fun to see what they would create. It's not that I taught them how to write, but they're not afraid of writing. They're not afraid of a blank page. And one of the really rewarding things is when you bump into one of those kids a decade later when they're in university and they thank you for that. But I thank them for that more than anything else. It was so much fun to do that, to see that. Anyways, the point is, anytime we can come up with something new, whether it's a podcast, whether it's teaching kids, whatever it is, it actually benefits us in some ways even more than everybody else. It's kind of like the story of gratitude. The more gratitude you have, the more you personally benefit in terms of your own personal mental well-being and happiness. So on that philosophical note, <laughs> Leah, thanks for sharing. I appreciate you coming on the SIDCAST. We will talk to you in a few months and get the story. It'll be exciting to hear what happens. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Take care, Leah. So Leah goes off to Uber. And now in this second segment that you're about to hear, we find out how it went. Isn't it kind of cool? You don't have to wait four months to find out how things went. You're just waiting basically two minutes. Not bad. I'm sure one of the first things you're going to notice is how much Leah has learned. It was really impressive and fascinating for me to talk to her just in that regard to see the type of learning that uh, gets captured so quickly when you have a job that's really one of these milestone type jobs as you think about your career. For someone who had only an abstract sense of working at Uber to really in a very short time period being able to share subtleties and understandings about the company, that's pretty impressive. Something else I think is uh, really interesting and current is how you start a job 100% virtually. Leah will share that experience and also what Uber learned about how to do this. If you're someone who's still in school or very early in your career, or a parent or a coach supporting someone who is starting their career, Leah's experience is going to be highly informative. She's thoughtful and in some ways provides a bit of a roadmap on how to learn whether a job is for you, how to learn in general, and how to build relationships even in remote environments. The last thing I'll say before we go back to my conversation with Leah is that here's a story of someone in the midst 
of crafting their career. We talk a lot about this, you know, the zigging and the sagging. But what does it look like when you're actually living it? And that's what I really like. Okay, here's the actual final point I want to make. And it's one I hadn't thought about very deeply until I listened to the episode one more time before recording this introduction to the second segment. Leah is so articulate and thoughtful that I find myself wanting to know what happens next. What happens to her next? You know, when this next segment ends that you're about to listen to, we say goodbye and thank you and we're done. But I can't help but think that I'd like to check in again to see where Leah's at and what she's doing and what she's learning. Maybe those thoughts reinforce the original premise for why I decided to do a podcast in the first place, because everybody has a story and these stories are vital. They're important and they're seldom shared beyond our own small circle of close friends and family. With the podcast, I can help people share their stories to a wider audience around the world. And even though people didn't know Leah Parker Belfer before they turned into this episode, after listening, they do. Not everything, but enough to connect, to empathize, and to learn. And that means something, doesn't it? So here's the second segment. Okay, we're back at the SITCAST with Leah Parker Belfer. Leah, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing wonderful, Sid. How are you? Happy fall. I'm Well, I'm great. When did we talk? It's been a few months. It's now, let's see, we are at the end of September 2021. And so when we talked, you were heading off on a little adventure called Uber for the summer. And now we're going to learn what it was like. So actually, as a reminder, what is it that you did this summer? Yes. So I was an strategy and planning community operations intern this summer. What is that? That sounds pretty good. That's a lot. It does sound a little jargony. What it is, is somewhat of an internal consulting role at Uber, specifically related to, you could think of it as customer service, both to all stakeholders, really. So drivers, riders, couriers, eaters, uh, think of the whole ecosystem of Uber customers, and that's who we serve. Okay. And you were part of a team, I guess, and there were a bunch of others, or was it a very small team or is it a big group for them? It was a smaller team. And I think what I learned too, and this is my first experience in the tech world, but from my experience and from talking to other people, it sounds like in the tech world, teams are a little smaller. And also your role tends to be more, especially in the earlier junior levels of organizations, tends to be more in an individual contributor level, which was very different for me coming from consulting where I was very used to being on Teams of varying sizes, but teams where there's a lot of collaboration and also a lot of bureaucracy (laughs) as well. And going from that to tech where I was working predominantly on my own, engaging with other stakeholders as necessary for inputs and feedback, but mostly driving the work on my own and then checking with my manager. It was a very different experience. Yeah. So you'd get your assignment, I guess, and then you'd have a check in every now and then. And was it one project or multiple things you were doing? What was great is I had two. So I got to really explore Uber through that, actually, because one project was thinking about customer service for BD partners. So Uber partners with other companies to offer services in exchange for, I guess, extra customers and creating relationships with other companies. And they, of course, offer customer service for those partnerships. But it was thinking about how do we do that strategically, given all the partnerships Uber has and is looking to develop, understanding that likely it makes sense to tailor it. And then I did another project where I was looking into how do we leverage our existing support teams that are out in the field, as in call centers and things like that. How do we leverage the data that they get access to through the daily conversations they have with customers in a more streamlined and efficient way at Uber headquarters more? And so, as you can imagine, through those projects, I got to really explore other functions within the company. I got to learn more about Uber operations. So it was a really informative summer, I would say. Right. On the first project, I know you can't, and it wouldn't be appropriate again to you know, a lot of the details of it, but customer service for partners. Mm-hmm. So ordinarily, vast majority of people think about customer service for customers. Yeah. So it's an interesting term to use for a business partner. Is this kind of how they've always thought about it or in your research and thinking about tech, is this kind of standard practice or this is a new way to think about how to build and strengthen relationships with business partners? Mm. I don't necessarily think it's unusual or unique to Uber. But again, I have had very limited experience, but I do think Uber views its ecosystem or its customers pretty generously because if you think about it, 
really so many people are connecting to Uber. I would argue even in some spaces, Uber might think of its own employees in a way as customers. So it could be a liberal term used, but I think it does, to your point, though, get a little bit nuanced and tricky when you can think of someone, let's say for me, for example, I'm a customer in the sense that I use Uber to potentially take rides or order food, but I also could be a customer from a partnership, if that makes sense. If, for example, I'm a card member of a credit card company that Uber is partnering with. So I guess I could have many layers of being a customer and that could right. get a little tricky. So were you working remotely or some in person this summer? I was working remotely. It would have been out of the San Francisco office, which would have been very cool, especially because I think they just redid the office and I hear it's quite beautiful. But I was remote, so I was not in San Francisco. What was a typical day? Did you have to go on West Coast time or nobody really cares what time you start and finish as long as you get your job done? I was very, very lucky that my team was very flexible. And I think part of that had to do with we were dispersed throughout the U.S. and also Canada. So my manager or direct supervisor, he was in Toronto. So right off the bat, that helped. And they're on the same time zone. So that was good. And then we had a couple of people in San Francisco and New York and D.C., so thankfully, it was a little bit more flexible than what I had thought. There were only a couple nights where I had to stay late for a 5 p.m. San Francisco meeting. 5 p.m., yeah, so 8 p.m. East Coast. Right, a little late yeah. on the East Coast, yeah. yeah. Man, what was it like to work 100% remote? I know it's an internship, it's not a full-time job, but when you start any type of new job, it's all about building relationships, feeling comfortable, getting a feel, and you've got to do all that remotely. It was challenging, but not as challenging as I had thought. I was really anticipating feeling disconnected. I've never onboarded fully virtually before, even at Tuck last year. While the onboarding was virtual, as you know, outside of the official programming, you could go on a walk with a student, you could sit outside and get coffee. So that aspect felt like it was a little more in person, whereas in this case, truly all virtual. However, to Uber's credit, I really did feel supported. They had robust programming. And I think part of that was because this was their second year doing virtual mm -hmm. internships. So they had a little practice from the previous year. I think to my team's credit, they made sure to offer a lot of touch points as I wanted them throughout the day, whether that's pinging on Slack or meeting via Zoom. And so I didn't feel alone, which I think was the biggest concern I had. So part of what you're describing gets to the next uh, question around culture. But I know when mm -hmm. we talked, you were Uber's had a mixed reputation and you wanted to see for yourself. And of course, it's got to be pretty limited access because you're remote and because you're on a single team. Nonetheless, you were interacting with various players in the ecosystem. So there's lots of clues out there, right? Lots of data mm -hmm. points out there. So what did you get from the culture? What did you learn about the culture? I was very impressed by the individuals I got to work with. My team, though I wasn't working with them all directly every day, I would say was about 10 or so. So I did get to develop uh, pretty deep connections with those 10 individuals over the summer, over the three months. And I got to talk with them informally throughout the internship. And during those conversations, I would eventually actually, not the first conversation, but eventually ask about the culture, especially because a couple people had been there for a long time. Not everyone. I think maybe the average tenure at Uber across our team might have been three or four years, but there were a couple individuals who had been there for seven. So they had been there, and as they phrase it, the Travis Kalanick years, and they didn't shy away from talking about the differences between then and now. And as you can imagine, there were pros and cons for both eras. And they think back to Travis Kalanick, and thankfully, none of the individuals that I spoke with had been directly affected by the toxic culture that was, I guess, published in the news mm -hmm. and experienced by many. But thankfully, the team members I had had not experienced that, but they knew it happened. And they did talk about how difficult it was and how the company really had to take a step back and think about the kind of environment that they were creating. And it was something that I think has informed where they are today. And from my experience, over the summer, it seems like it's night and day from what it was. I felt like the culture was very supportive, collaborative. I felt like I had avenues if I had any concerns. I also felt like I had team members who would support me through it mm -hmm. all too. So I had a good experience this summer, but it was interesting to hear 
from firsthand how it was back then. So, yeah, you said you didn't ask him in the first conversation, which is good. I'm glad you did that. But you did get around to it. How did you ask that question? Like, how do you get into the comfort zone? Ask, what was it really like in the big bad old days? How'd you do that? How'd you survive there? Yeah, I think it was just that, but it was waiting till we had developed a little more of a relationship and also asking if you're comfortable with this, I would love to know or I'm curious about, but I don't want to make you uncomfortable or overstep my boundaries. But I think most people, and this might be, again, a testament to Uber culture, but most people are very open and transparent and don't take offense to that kind of question. Yeah, that's good. And how about the balance of men and women on your team? When you go back to the bad old days, it was part of that bro culture. Mm. And so... I'm wondering whether any of the people that have been at Uber for a period of time, if they were women and they commented specifically on whether they felt or observed, or even if they didn't, the fact that they discovered that things were going on that were just not what you want in any organization, how they thought about it, how they dealt with it. Mm -hmm. My team was pretty evenly split gender-wise in terms of women and men. And I did speak with one woman who had been there back in the day. Unfortunately, some of the other women on my team had not been back in those days. But the one that I did speak with, she was saying she had not experienced it firsthand. And she said largely she thinks that might have been just because of where she was located. She was located in the California region. And so I think that might have been where some of the most egregious behavior was, I believe. But I did actually ask her that question too of how did it feel? Because so much of the experience sometimes of working in a company is kind of adopting that company as your own or acknowledging that it's part of your identity once you start working for them. And so I did ask, how did it feel to be a part of the company at that time? I imagine it was quite hard. And she said, yes, it was quite hard, especially because she wasn't experiencing it. So it was challenging also to talk about something she wasn't directly experiencing, but she did have friends who would ask her about what it was like to work for a negative synonym of evil or something, or (laughs) what is it like to work for that kind of company? And she had to say, She was horrified to hear, but also hadn't experienced it and also Mm -hmm. felt like the company was doing a lot of good. And so she said she had to navigate those conflicting feelings. Yeah, that's quite an interesting conversation that she would have had over the years, especially back a number of years, because as you do, as you say, the place you work does become part of your identity, sometimes in America in particular, too much. So we define ourselves in terms of our work and forget about a lot of other things. But nonetheless, to be able to balance that and then feel like it's okay to be there, even though you're doing great and you're being treated well, you know that's not the case for other people. It's a tricky thing. And I would imagine that would have been challenging for that person you're talking to. Mm -hmm. When we talked, you were all about impact, right? Yeah. You have CSR interests, even though that wasn't the core of what you were doing, to be sure, although maybe it came up in some ways, I'm not sure. But you wanted to be able to have an impact actually wherever you go, wherever Mm -hmm. you do. It's only three months. It's very limited. But what's your assessment? Did you in some way, that would be kind of amazing in three months, I wouldn't be shocked knowing you, but okay. But also more generally, if you think that you'd have that opportunity at Uber. As I also said, as on the last episode, I mentioned exploration too. This summer was also a goal. And so to your point, it was challenging to find opportunities to be in the CSR or social impact space for a summer that is so short. And then also that's not in my job title. So unfortunately, Mm -hmm. I didn't actually get to work on a specific issue, but I did take the opportunity to meet with the different functions and organizations within Uber. And I got to speak with folks from the social impact group at Uber, the folks in policy, as well as DE&I. And so that was very helpful for me to learn about the work going on and also the opportunities. I could imagine being able to do some of the work that I mentioned being interested in from a CSR space there. But I will say that the offices are small. And it sounds like that's kind of universal at the moment among some of these tech companies of they have these departments, but they are small. And so the opportunities are limited and competitive. So that is something I'm looking into. But in terms of impact, I did feel like I had impact. And I think largely that's because I was working on efforts that would directly affect the people who use Uber's platform, whether it be from suppliers and drivers and then demanders and riders. And so that was meaningful. And I actually got to, especially on that project I mentioned about using the expertise and data gathered by the customer service reps in the field, because I was able to work on that project and talk to them, I actually got to even get a somewhat more direct connection to the end person, the end customer, um, and hear about the experience. That did feel like I was moving the needle in the experience people were having. 
I want to take a slight detour before we get back to Uber. And the detour is just more generally because you're back in school and you have your classmates. And actually on the topic of internships, I'm sure that you have compared notes with many classmates. And I'm wondering whether there's any themes or commonalities that you've observed or just any observations from people coming back. Because what happens is for those people that are not, you know, business school types or don't know kind of how it works, you've got a full year of, of school and this internship is a really, really big deal because it could lead to a full-time job. It's a chance to learn about an organization that you might not ever have another chance to learn about. You also meet people often from other business schools that are in uh, comparable programs. And needless to say, there's a lot of note comparisons about what was it like. And I'm always happy to say and report that when Tuck students come back in the second year, they have an even deeper appreciation for where they are when they hear mm -hmm. what life was like <laughs> for classmates, not classmates, but workmates from other universities. It's like a big deal when everyone comes back. There's a lot of learning and a lot of comparison. And for some people, thinking about going back to square one because it wasn't what they really wanted. So what have you observed and seen in talking to your classmates? Well, I have been a little bit more removed from some of that debrief just because of taking this semester at HKS for the other dual degree program. I have spoken with tech classmates about their internships. And specifically, I have been talking to people in the tech space because that's where I'm mm -hmm. most curious because, of course, mm -hmm. you kind of want to hear about comparable companies and opportunities. But I would say overwhelmingly, the sentiment is it was a really great opportunity to learn, especially for people like me that didn't have experience prior and felt like this was your foray into the tech world. Everybody came back feeling like they learned something and got exposure and that it was ultimately a good experience from that lens of it helps you learn and grow and better understand what's out there, what you're looking for. In terms of another sentiment, I did feel like most people, including myself, felt like while we were able to get to know our team very, very closely and intimately and thus the culture from that perspective, because it was virtual and we weren't in the office sitting at a desk surrounded by other desks and offices and feeling the energy of uh -huh. the environment, we did miss a part of the culture at Longridge. But what's interesting to think about is as we think back, we look to the future of going back to work or not going back to work. We actually don't know. So theoretically, we could be experiencing what we would be experiencing if we were to join the company full time, at least in the near future, maybe first year after we graduate. So that's been another factor to consider as well. So you're at Harvard Kennedy School this term and you've been back in the class already? Yes, we've been back in the classroom with masks and weekly COVID testing. So I taught in August. We start quite early for our orientation program for first year students that I run. And uh, everyone had masks, including me. I had a microphone. Some faculty members don't use a microphone. I'm curious what your experience has been. But it was still nonetheless challenging for students to hear each other and for me to hear some students because there's a mask, because other students don't have a microphone. And because, well, if you're from another country or if you have any type of accent, it's even more difficult. And it's not a natural thing to project in mm -hmm. a strong way for everyone. There's a huge variation. People don't even realize they're not doing it. And that becomes very, very challenging. So have you seen that? Have you seen any solutions to that? Uh, what, what has it been like so far? It has been challenging. I think the point about volume is the problem. I've seen my professors use the microphones. I've seen students occasionally get to use microphones, specifically more in larger events uh -huh. or talks that are more campus-wide, less classroom. But they have tried that method of when you raise your hand to ask a question or say a comment, they could hand you an individual mic. But as you can imagine, that's pretty disruptive to the flow of conversation. And then there's only so many mics available. I think what has also been challenging, which you might have experienced too, is just it's covering so much of your face. So you lack the ability to see facial responses uh -huh. as well. So that dynamic is also a loss, I would say. What you're saying is really important. Something I had not fully really appreciated, which is when we're talking to someone and we're listening to somebody, we are lip reading whether we know it or not, and we're absorbing the facial expressions. And all of that helps us interpret what is being said. It's not just listening, because we're doing that test now where we're listening perfectly fine, but we're not seeing the face, we're not seeing the lips. And I hadn't realized that people do that. That's how our brains are wired, which is quite an interesting. That's neither here nor there, but that's quite an interesting observation that I had not realized. And I think a lot of people have now figured that out. 
It's been particularly interesting in one of my classes. I'm taking a negotiations class where once a week we have a simulation. And those have been very interesting with the mask on because it takes out an element that is normally very common in negotiation that you are looking at body language, facial expression, and now you don't always get those cues. Right. That's funny. I guess if you can do that effectively, then it'll be even better when the masks come off. So let's go back to Uber. We've talked about a lot of different things. What would you say, you know, you learned maybe that you didn't expect or that will stick with you? And this could be about any aspect of the company, right? It could be the actual work, could be the people, could be you. Maybe you learned about yourself a little bit because, you know, you have certain expectations when you walk into a job. You thought about this for a long time before you took this opportunity and then it happened. So there's an assessment and a reassessment. I'm curious what some of those learnings may have been. I think for me, a large part of it in terms of for myself and reflection on my own preferences and working style, I think it really was an eye-opening that I enjoyed the individual contributor role. As you know, I'm very social and I really thrive off other people's energy. And I was very apprehensive going into the summer because I did know that I was largely going to be working alone. And while I was excited about the opportunity to, to drive the work forward, I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to do it or I wouldn't be as effective because I'm so used to collaborating and building together and getting impactful results through that process. Whereas now I was just hoping that would still happen if I was alone. But I think I surprised myself and I also had a better appreciation for being an individual contributor doesn't mean you're truly alone. And I think I had that misconception because really you are surrounded by resources. You do have a team. It's also a credit to them to have supported me so well. But I think that was a huge learning for me, especially as I think about what's next and kind of what I want to try. I think another interesting thing, too, was I actually thought Uber and my prior consulting experience at the firm I was at wasn't so different. I was really thinking it was going to be kind of night and day. And maybe that's because Uber is more of a midsize tech company at this point. But I definitely went in thinking it would be a little bit more I don't know, is it fast paced or I'm not really sure, but yeah. it ended up feeling more similar than I had expected. And maybe part of it is that your role was a consulting type or an analytical True. type of right. role. Maybe the role was the thing that stood out more than the actual company, which we could see happening given that you were remote, given that it was a short period of time and given that you were an individual contributor. I don't think that would be the case, you know, if you were there full time and had a chance to be more immersed with other people. So what happens at the end of a summer internship? Traditionally, you have your evaluation or your feedback with your manager and maybe HR as well. And then the next steps, really. Not all companies are able to do this, but some companies are able to offer what's called a return offer, which means to come back, like you alluded to, come back full time after you mm -hmm. graduate. Uber is one of those places. And so my situation was a little bit different because of my dual degree. So that expands my time until graduation, especially I think because they're a tech company and they tend to work a little more short term or think workforce management in a little narrower term. They're unable to offer a full time offer for two years from now, but I was very fortunate to get a return offer for an internship next summer. I'm still in the process of thinking about what to do next summer. And I think as we talked about last time, Part of the calculus is understanding that I am in two programs, one business school and one public policy school. And so I am trying to think about getting varied experiences in both realms. So there is that component that I'm thinking about, but there's still time this fall to think about what is the most appropriate thing to do. Yeah, because if you go back to Uber, it's kind of a second round where you learn something new and hopefully there'll be a lot more face to face a year from now. Mm -hmm. in person, but it's not going to be nearly as much in new information gathering. And it wouldn't necessarily take advantage of your degree. Now, that's the trick. You know, how do you combine those two? I know you had to have thought about it because you chose this combined yeah. degree. What kind of jobs can do this? What kind of companies can create the opportunity that you want to pursue more aggressively now that you're further down the path of school? Yeah, I'm thinking about a couple things. I'm thinking about social enterprises, or if you think of them as nonprofits, are around serving vulnerable populations through a product or service. So I'm looking into that right now, still in kind of the tech world. I'm also looking at government innovation labs where cities and states sometimes invest money into thinking about how digital can be used in their locations and in other governance. And there are also these other roles too in tech that are, I think they're called social impact product manager roles too. 
So I'm really looking at still tech, but to your point earlier, really that social impact CSR kind of content and just trying to see what opportunities are available. I'm still learning too. So if you hear of any interesting titles or functions, would gladly take any advice or be directed anywhere. I will definitely keep that in mind. Just the other day, we had a presentation from a professor at Rice University who's doing amazing research on the relationship between companies and, say, aggressive activists that target them and how to manage that and, mm. and how to think about that. And I haven't seen anyone doing that type of research. So I'll send you one of those links. Oh, that would be great. It's really interesting. So, okay, you're back in school. You got a lot to think about. You had a great experience, it sounds like. And you kind of opened the door a little bit for uh, lots of my listeners that either they never got a graduate degree or they didn't get this type of graduate degree. Or if they did, it's 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. And it's kind of interesting to think about how is it really different or similar. And then, you know, anytime somebody is younger, earlier in their career and just figuring out the next stage, I find that very exciting. I think that's great. I think about the transitions that I've done over the years. And when you're in the middle of it, it's a bit more nervous nerve-wracking than it is to sit back like I'm doing, not necessarily you're doing, but that I'm doing, to <laughs> analyze it and think about it and share the story. But your self-confidence on this is wonderful. Well, I really appreciate it. And I think this has been such a great opportunity or gift that you're giving me of reflection. And I always try to make space for it. But as you can imagine, in the role that I'm in right now, we're just constantly moving, leaving Tuck, going into your internship. For me, starting at HKS, orientation, now recruiting again. It can feel nonstop and it can feel like you don't have the chance to rest and reflect. And I know it's so important and I appreciate that you're making space for me to do it and helping me get there as well. Leah, thanks for sharing your story your story with uh, your classmates and my listeners. And I know we'll continue to be in touch. Wonderful. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to the SIDCast. I'm really excited to be bringing you season three and really appreciative that you've chosen to listen to this episode. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the series and you will never miss a single episode. I welcome all feedback and I'd love to hear from you. I've gotten some great commentary over the course of the first two seasons and lots of great suggestions as well. You can contact me via my website, www.thesidcast.com, or you could email me directly at sidfinkelstein at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, I hope you'll tune into another one of our episodes and please give us a five-star review and share with others who you think would enjoy and benefit from the show as well. The SIDCAST is produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company. <laughs>